0: Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now enjoy the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Ariel Roldan, Pastor of the Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Churches in the Michigan Conference. And now, here's Pastor Ariel.
1: We're going to be starting a new series based on faith. The series is entitled Issues of Faith. And this morning's message is entitled The Faith That Pleases God. The Faith That Pleases God. And we're going to be trying to get a better grasp in something that can become foggy at times, something that can trip us up, and is actually a core part of the Christian experience. So with all that said, let's just dive right in. I-, I have to tell you that, number one, you will need your Bibles this morning, and I hope you have breakfast because we will be thinking, we'll be doing some in-depth study. Is that okay if we study the Bible a little bit more in-depth this morning? So have our thinking caps on. And let us pray and dive in the Word of God. Father, thank you for an opportunity to study and to do it in a way, Father, that benefits all of us. Father, thank you that you have given us something to attach ourselves to that rock, that anchor that is immovable, our Savior Jesus. So instruct us, Father, from your Word about this gift you have given to every man, this gift of faith. In Jesus' name, amen i want to begin by telling you the story of a gentleman named John Stephen Ahavadi. He was a representative of Tanzania in Mexico when Mexico hosted the Olympic Games in 1968. I'm going to read to you an article that the Olympic Committee put out about John Stephen Ahavadi. He's not going to be the one crossing the finish line first. He's actually dead last. And usually the only people that make it to the news, the articles, or the archives are the first runner-ups, maybe the second, possibly maybe the third. But the last one, something amazing must happen when the news actually focus more. They actually know more of the person that finished last in this race. No one remembers the person that went in first. For this reason, He began running, and even when Tanzania sent him, they knew that they were not sending a gold medalist. They were just happy to have someone representing Tanzania at the Olympics. So they didn't have that expectation on Mr. Akvadi. He began to run, and the change in altitude, going from the Africa continent to the Central American continent, change of altitudes, things like that, he didn't acclimate himself very well, and he was starting to cramp up minutes into the race. Charlie horses and all these aches that prevented him from doing the pace that he normally would have. To boot, he got caught in an initial conglomeration of all the runners. As they go through curves, sometimes all the guys begin to clump up together. Playing soccer, that's happened when everybody's chasing the ball and you start running really close to other players and your legs begin to hit each other. And you know what happens when legs begin to hit each other and they're running? And that's exactly what happened to Mr. Akbadi. He fell. He had a big gash on his knee, dislocated a couple of bones, and had a big gash in his shoulder. When they saw him, everybody gasped. They thought, he's done. He's going to go to the hospital and get sent back home. But he said, no, 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 send me to the medics. Let them treat me. And I want to get back in the race. So after bandaging him up a bit, he began to get in the race again, limping. Slower, with the cramps, the dislocation, the bleeding knee, the bleeding shoulder. He was far behind. The first person that crossed the finish line did so with everybody's applause and elation. And people began to disperse. And they kept counting the runners. And they were like, well, we still got one more coming. We're not sure when he's going to come through. Several spectators stuck around. And they're glad they did. Because seeing him cross the finish line was way more exciting than watching the first guy. Because as he entered back into the stadium, they saw a man limping, bandaged. He didn't look like that when he first came out. And the crowds began to cheer, began to get excited
2: about seeing a man that didn't quit.
1: And as he limped Across the finish line, the reporters rushed to him. (laughs) We want to know who you are, where you're from, and why didn't you quit? That was a question in everybody's mind. He was asked why he carried on, and his response has gone down in sporting history. And this is why Mr. Akavadi kept running. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He felt the responsibility of representing the reason why his country spent money and resources to fly him all the way over there. He didn't want to go back to Tanzania and said, hey, I began the race and ran for a little bit, but I got injured and so I quit. He could go back home to Tanzania and not simply tell them, thank you for sending me to run the race, but this was a proud moment for Tanzania because though the person they sent didn't finish first,
2: he finished the race.
1: I'd like to ask that we spend some time this morning contemplating this topic of faith. We're going to start by debunking a faith myth. I said it before, and sometimes I catch myself wanting to say it, but the scriptures correct our perceptions of faith. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, to think soberly, As God has dealt to each one, some translations say to everyone, a measure of faith.
2: It's pretty clear
1: that how many human beings have been given this gift of faith by God. Every single human being. Yet I remember being around my secular friends. I remember being around my church friends. And some of them saying, I don't think I have faith. I think I've lost my faith. Can you please pray for me? Because I don't think I have sufficient faith, enough faith. The Bible doesn't say that God has given us faith on condition. God has given every human being the capacity to exercise this gift called faith. But Satan will deceive us sometimes by confusing faith with feelings. And because our feelings aren't there, we feel our faith isn't. But no matter where you find yourself in your spiritual journey, atheists, do atheists have faith? Of course they do. Do atheists use
2: their faith? They certainly use their faith.
1: The human race thinks that faith is only for the religious. But the Bible says that every human being has placed their faith Speaking in the Christian context, the reason many of us feel that our faith doesn't work is not because of that we got defective faith from God, is that we are putting our faith where our faith does not belong. It's not your faith that is failing you, but where you're placing your faith. Is that making sense? We sang a song as I was praying before entering the sanctuary, preparing my heart. Will your anchor hold in the storm of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? The anchor does not move. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Amen? But is my faith attached to that anchor Or to something else.
2: It's not your faith
1: that is failing you. It's what you're attaching your faith to. That will always fail you. Unless it's Jesus. Is that making sense? So many Christians think. Pastor my faith has not worked. I have prayed. I have done this. And I have done that. But maybe your faith is in you. And not in Jesus. Maybe your faith is in your job. Your career. Your relationships. Or anything else. There's gazillions of places where we can put our faith, but only one place where you can put your faith and experience the power of faithfulness of God in your life. That is Jesus Christ. You have faith this morning. Please believe that. Not because you might feel you have faith, but because the word of God says, God has given to every man a measure of what? How many people? You included? You included? The question we need to ask this morning is, where have I been attaching my faith to? Is my faith presently attached to the anchor, that immovable anchor that can keep my soul steady and anchored in the love of God, safe and
2: secure in the Savior's love? The question is very important.
1: There's a lot of theology in that hymn. Because the question is, will your anchor hold? Because there's another anchor that if you were to put your faith in that anchor, it would transform your life
2: and it will never fail. We're going to be looking at three aspects of
1: faith this morning. Faith is believing by hearing without seeing. The question is, what is faith? Well, faith is believing by hearing without seeing. Faith is trusting someone else's promise. Faith is also the tool by which our relationship with God is healed. And these are not separate statements, but a flow of an experience. What is faith? Faith is not an intellectual exercise. Faith is not something that you go to first year, second year, third year, you get a bachelor's of faith. That's not how faith works. Faith works the instant you attach it to something. And faith will instantly disappoint and fail you when you place it in yourself or anyone else. But when I put my faith in Jesus, that instant faith will prove to me the reality of God's existence through Jesus Christ. Jesus healed differently than the way we heal individuals in the medical facility, etc., We have one of our elders, Gunther, who's recovering from a toe surgery and has several months of recovery. We're praying for Jody, we're praying for Phyllis, and they also have months of recovery. But when Jesus would heal the blind, he didn't say, okay, in about six months, you'll start getting a little bit like 45, 20 vision. It was when Jesus healed a paralytic. And this is the powerful thing about Jesus. You see, when people get retina implants as adults, Their brain has to learn how to see the same way that babies learn how to see. So it's not instant people see things like this. They they, they get vertigo because the brain is now being inundated with stimulus it's never had before. And so it's learning to interpret what is being seen by the eyes. Same thing with speech. Individuals that have speech pathology have sometimes months, years of therapy to get them to pronounce correctly. But when Jesus healed the mute, they could speak. Instantly. When Jesus healed the deaf, they could hear instantly. And when Jesus healed the paralytics, did they didn't need months of therapy and occupational therapy. The Bible says that when Peter told the man, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and... The Bible says that the man was, as the song goes, right? He was walking and leaping and...
2: He didn't need occupational therapy.
1: Because his faith was placed on an anchor that can keep the soul. So faith is believing by hearing without seeing. Faith is trusting someone else's promise. Reaching to a point where you can trust someone's promise. And faith is also the tool by which our relationship with God is healed. I would like to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to read three verses, verse 24, 25, and then verse 29. We're going to look at that first premise of what is faith. Faith is believing by hearing, not by seeing. Faith is choosing to believe by hearing, not by seeing. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 25, and verse 29. Let's make a little bit of an interactive environment this morning. Would anyone be willing to read it out loud for us, those three verses? John chapter 20, verse 24 through 25, and there's verse 29. Just raise your hand if you would like to. Diana, thank you so much.
0: But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have
2: believed.
1: You know, the word believe there is the same exact Greek word as faith. So, I will not have faith, said Thomas, unless. Unless I see and touch, I will not have faith that Jesus has risen from the grave. But Jesus says, blessed are those that have believed without seeing, but because they have heard. Jesus appeared to the women first, and he told them, go and tell the disciples. But when the women went and told the disciples, how did the disciples respond to the testimony of the women that Jesus had risen from the grave? You guys are out of your mind. You guys are delusional. You guys are hysterical. They chose to put their faith in what their eyes had seen. When Jesus meets two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus could have shown himself to them, but if you look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, you know what Jesus took these two disciples that had no faith anymore? You know what He put their eyes on? Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, Moses, and the Psalms. That's the entire Old Testament. This is a testimony as to who God was and the mission of the Messiah. The disciples came to believe in Jesus because they heard the prophetic testimony as to who Jesus was. So Jesus didn't want His disciples to believe by seeing Him. Jesus wanted His disciples to believe by choosing to have faith in the testimony, the prophetic testimony of the Word of God. If you and I are struggling with our faith, it is because you are putting your faith in entertainment. You are putting your faith in relationships. You are putting your faith in earthly success. The invitation of God to each of us this morning is to reconsider where I am putting my faith because it's somewhere. Everybody receives a gift of faith. We've agreed on that already, right? The problem is not whether you have it or not, it's where you are putting it. And the invitation of God this morning to every human being, not just us here this morning, is will you choose to put your faith
2: here? If you place your faith here, your experience will be different.
1: And it's not simply that you put faith in a book. Will you put faith in the God this book reveals to you? Will you put your faith in the God that reveals himself through his son Jesus Christ that is revealed in this book? Because you see, if you are waiting to see till you believe, you will be waiting till it's too late. When the Bible says, and every eye shall see him in the book of Revelation, that is too late of an experience. Are you understanding? When the sky rolls back as a scroll and the glory is manifested and we literally physically see the realities that now we accept by faith, that moment will be too late. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those that have believed without seeing and yet choose to have faith to believe. You have to begin to retrain your brain to think as a Christian. Because you can say this morning, Pastor, your old signs is nice and good, but I still have doubts. You don't have doubts. It's just that your faith is attached somewhere else. You have to ask yourself this morning a more specific and revealing question. Stop asking yourself whether you believe in Christ or not, because if you have doubts about Jesus, it's because you're believing something else. Is that making sense? Yeah. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or love the other and hate the one. And the reason you're struggling in having faith in Jesus, there's a book that just cut through my lame excuses when I was struggling with doubt. By the way, that is a powerful little book that if you have not read, and you're struggling with doubts, the second to last chapter is entitled, What to Do with Doubt. I encourage you to read that book. I encourage you to read that chapter. Because when I read that chapter, it opened my eyes as to why I was struggling with doubt, with not having my faith. I knew that my faith was not where it needed to be in Jesus. And I made all these excuses, always the pastor, what the pastor did in immigration, always what my parents have done, always what my girlfriend has done. Nope. That chapter has one sentence that says, many, many camouflage their skepticism. Many camouflage their doubts, their spiritual doubts, when in reality, the reason why they struggle having this experience is because they love sin. Mm. Love of sin is the root of doubt in God. So it's not so much that you are struggling with having faith in God, is that you have been accustomed, you've developed a taste of putting your faith somewhere else. Money, that is what's going to solve your problem. So you pursue money. You may come to church, you may sing to God, you may preach, you may teach, but in your heart, your Savior, your anchor is money. And of course, like I said, Satan has no problem creating many counterfeits Many false anchors that seem so secure, so immovable, but are so fragile. So if you're struggling with doubts this morning, don't ask yourself why you doubt. Ask yourself, what else am I believing that's keeping me from believing in Jesus? Romans 4, 19 through 20. If we could turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, 19 to 20. We have established already and just shown from Jesus that Some of the three elements, components of faith that we're looking at this morning is faith is believing by hearing, not by seeing. Faith by hearing, not by believing. And you have, that's what Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Though it's not an audible book, you can't hear it in your mind. And it will speak to your reason. It will speak to your heart. God is real. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. is there another volunteer that we'd like to read. If you just could raise your hand real quick. Oh, thank you so much. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20.
2: In being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory
1: to God. So here we have Abraham's experience. We've already established that faith is believing by hearing, not by which leads us to have the capacity to believe in someone's promise. In this case, in this context, is faith. When I choose to have the kind of faith that will believe by hearing, not by seeing. It prepares me to believe in the promises of God. Bruce, I promise I will return the tool you let me borrow this week. Do you trust me? Yep. Is the tool in your hand right now? Nope. See, you just manifested faith in me. Because you have heard me tell you I'm going to return to you the tool this week, which now there's like an accountability. <laughs> People are going to pass right in the sermons on videos on Facebook because you have believed without seeing. You are able to believe my promise because a promise is a guarantee of something you have yet to see, but you have heard. It's not making it simple. It's simple. So faith is being able to choosing to believe because I'm hearing something, not because I'm seeing it, which enables me to believe God's promises. Because if God is going to promise something. Do I have it now? Or is it promised something about the future? Future. But do I waver at it right now? No. And that was Abraham's experience. Abraham chose not to be weak in faith. Not because his faith could be weak. But his faith would become weak if Abraham would have put the faith in himself. Because the Bible says that he did not consider his own body already dead. If Abraham would have put his faith in his body, his faith would have been weak because his body was dead. Did Abraham put his faith in Sarah's body? Now, was that their original experience throughout their whole marriage experience? No. (laughs) That's why Abraham's story is so rich and encouraging for us. God knows you struggle trusting him, and he is okay with that. The ones that struggle accepting it is ourselves. We are like Peter. Peter was ignoring what Jesus was telling him. Peter, you need to be praying because all of you, including you, will leave me. Not me, Lord. Not me. The Bible in Genesis 12 says that God told Abraham, look at the stars, look at the sand. That's how many offsprings you're going to have. And it's very simple. Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was accounted to him as righteousness. But that was when Abraham was young and Sarah was young. The years
2: started to tick. The years started to pass.
1: And Abraham's faith did become weak. Did become weak when he began to look at Sarah. And Sarah began to look at herself. And for that moment of weakness, in which they did not put their faith in God's promise, they put their faith in their ability to produce children, Sarah said, here's Hagar.
2: Ishmael was
1: born out of weak faith, out of faith placed on what the human can do, and not faith based on the promise of what God can do. But the Bible is amazing. The Bible teaches us about God's grace because none of that is accounted here. Though in the book of Genesis, it is there. When Paul recounts, inspired by the Spirit of God, he focuses on what Abraham did right. After almost a century of walking this earth, Abraham finally could trust God's promise. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his body. He did not consider Sarah's body. What did Abraham consider that his faith did not become weak? Yes, his faith was strong because he considered the promise of God, he did not waver it, was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I want to ask you a question. Was Abraham choosing to give glory to God after Isaac was born or before Isaac was born? For his faith to have been strengthened. Was Abraham choosing to give glory to God before Isaac was born or after Isaac was born? Of course, after the baby's born. But who gives glory to God before the baby's gotten here? Right? We have sayings that are so faith. Don't count your chickens until they have. So don't count on the promise until the promise has been. Is that how God works? No. no. Abraham chose to give God glory by faith because he chose to believe in the promise. And because Abraham chose to give God glory for a baby he didn't have, his faith was strengthened. Does anyone need a little bit of strengthening in your faith? Amen. Start praising God. Start praising God for His promises. Start praising God for the things He has done already in your past. And you will find that your faith begins to get a little bit of muscle. A little bit more stamina a little bit more endurance. That's why the book of Revelation says, here is the patience. Other translation says, here is the endurance. You and I need to recount the many promises God has. Has has anyone here experienced the fulfillment of God's promise in your life so far? Whether it's financial, educational, forgiveness, has anyone experienced that? Recount that. We're going through the book through the Bible as a church chronologically. How many times have you read for our God took us out of Egypt? <laughs> How many times have we heard that phrase, right? Because that was such a tremendous manifestation of God's fulfillment of his promise, it was designed to strengthen faith presently. If God has been faithful then, will he be faithful now? That's what Abraham did. That's what Abraham did. Giving God glory. And yes, before Isaac was born, Abraham gave glory to God. But if you're going to look at the biblical definition of how we gave God glory, Abraham also gave God glory when he took his son to Mount Moriah. And he told his servants, and he was not lying. He told the servants, I and the lad will go up there and worship And we will come back. That was faith? Yes, it was. Because Abraham knew that as he went up there, who was Abraham going to sacrifice? So he could have said, I will go up there with the lad and I myself will come back. But because he said we, somehow Abraham said, I don't know how God's going to do it. But because God has promised, he will do it. He remembered how Isaac was born when his body was dead and Sarah's womb was dead. And if God can bring life out of two dead people, I don't know how God can do it, but I believe He can. You don't have to understand how God does it, you just have to believe that He can. Our faith needs to be strengthened way more regularly than we do. Satan wants you to look at your woes and your problems, Satan wants you to look at the storms of life.
2: As Christians, our journey is
1: basically a constant repetition, a constant recalling. Focus your eyes on the anchor. Stop looking at the storm. Stop looking at the storm because the anchor that the Bible invites you to look at, the anchor that the Bible invites you to attach yourself to will never fail you. It did not fail Abraham. It did not fail Sarah. It did not fail Isaac and none of those descendants. And we are Abraham's seed and heirs to those same promises. We also can experience giving glory to God, not because we see, but because we've heard. So faith empowers me, enables me, makes it natural for me to believe in God's promises. Because I am willing to believe by hearing, not by seeing. That's the first angel's message. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, there's a lot of rich stuff here. Thank you for that. The third concept is the tool by which our relationship with God is healed. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but the evidence of things that have been the testimony, the prophetic testimony. I choose to believe by hearing, not by seeing. God's promises are heard, not seen. The evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now,
2: he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek more faith. The seek him. Seek him.
1: Like I said earlier, this experience of faith is not difficult, it's not hard, and it doesn't take a long time. What takes a long time is for us to learn to have faith in God. That is where we are the weak link in this whole experience. We sabotage our own selves, our own experience, like Abraham and Sarah did. God made a promise, all they needed to wait was for God to fulfill it, but they kept getting ahead of God, kept getting ahead of God. But you know... (laughs) Abraham and Sarah could not mess up their lives so much that God's promises could not be fulfilling them. God's promises were bigger than the mistakes they made in their lives. Isn't that amazing? So don't get discouraged if you have made mistakes in life thinking, well, I guess God's plans for my life are shot. No, they're not. The Bible teaches us that the promises that God made in the beginning of our journey, though we may make mistakes along the way, His promises remain there for us. God never told Abraham and Sarah, man, you guys really messed up. Forget it. Forget your son. I'm going to find another couple. God, that's what Paul says, though we may become unfaithful to him, God remains faithful to us. So all of these testimonies are designed to provoke in us a desire for something with more substance, more steadiness. Because the more you live on this planet, the more we realize our promises are junk. (laughs) But God's promises are true. Every single one of them. So, we have this idea of pleasing God because we choose to come to Him by faith. Now, there's a lot that we could say about what Paul says here. I'm going to ask you this morning, what are these things? The substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. What are these things? Heavenly realities. More concrete. If, if we study this verse, and I used to think like that, and it is, but these heavenly realities are going to get manifested in a very concrete, real way. He gets back to his promises. gets back to his promises. Now, Jesus could say, God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. What was he referring to? The things hoped for, the things not seen. Yes, because if you look at verse thirty-nine, Hebrews eleven thirty-nine, which is the last verse. What are these things hoped for? These things not seen, and all these, everybody that he's just listed, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive what? Yeah. What's that? The promise. I will come again, the whole new earth, and who's going to populate it? And if we are dead, we will be resurrected. None of those people listed have yet to receive the promise. But all of them believed in it, though all of them died not having received it yet. Because faith is not believing by seeing. Faith is believing by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Jesus says, Blessed are those who believe by hearing the testimonies, not by seeing. Jesus will come again. It's a statement of faith. But it doesn't come simply in a vacuum without any evidence, logical and reasonable evidences, and we don't have this morning to explore all of those. We are simply synthesizing this concept of faith that is not abstract and ethereal and faith in just a whole bunch of things, we all humans have one desire that overrides everything else and that is to stay alive. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. It doesn't mean that our hearts are eternal. It's that God has placed within us a longing to live. When my mind is healthy, I want to stay alive. And I've talked to saints, faithful individuals, who, yes, they have run the race, they have assurance in Jesus, but they are saddened at the fact of saying goodbye. When I talk to couples that have lived decades together, and they talk about this very uncomfortable, unsettling subject of when one of them dies, you begin to see some of the struggles that we have with this experience of death. Some husbands will say, I hope my wife goes to sleep before I do because she's so sensitive and her precious heart, I could not bear the thought of her grieving. I much rather bear that. Now, here, wives say the same thing about their husbands. Some of them will say, It'd be wonderful if we both went to sleep one night and that was it for the both of us at the same time. Because to wake up,
2: and I have you with me would be a painful experience. Nobody wants to
1: die, and more so, no one wants the people they love to die. Is that a true statement? Amen. And that is for every human being. Atheists may talk the big talk, but they don't want to die either. They their bodies to die. Yeah. To die. <laughs> yes. And they're trying to do research with genetics to try to figure out why our cells stop replicating after a certain age to crack our DNA code because they think immortality is within our cells and it's not. You could develop whatever techniques but someone can shoot you in the head with a bullet and
2: that's it. There's no genetic for that.
1: Humans don't need viruses to destroy ourselves. We do a pretty good job on our own and yet we don't want to. So the entire human race is seeking for ways by which to hold on to this treasure we call life. And the only way to have a satisfying, peaceful experience in this planet is by choosing to have faith in God, choosing to seek Him. And the reward we get from Him is a faith that will not be disappointed in the promise He has made to you and I. He told his disciples, I will come again. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that the trump will resound and God will speak and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a promise.
2: Your wife, your parents, your grandparents, some of us, children, the people that have been snatched from us
1: too soon, Jesus will bring them back to life. That is a promise he has made in Jesus. That is the journey of faith. It is not something abstract and detached from our human experience. It's very much core to our human experience. Hebrews eleven six, Matthew three sixteen through 17. We talked about faith, right? Faith, 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 faith. But the sermon is entitled, The Faith That Pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, this experience, it is impossible to please God. Matthew 3.16-17 is summarized by the part that says, When God the Father looks at Jesus, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the encouraging part of the gospel. Because Satan can even deceive us in tripping us up by causing you and I to look at the quality of our faith. And when he points to the quality of our faith, like Abraham and Sarah, we can see some areas in our lives where our faith just was in bad shape. Can anyone relate to that? Where your faith felt dry, dead,
2: lifeless? But the Bible says
1: that there was one human being that, from the onset, God the Father could look at him and say, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Because this one human being, that when we look at the faith of Jesus, did Jesus ever have any dry spells in his faith experience? Did Jesus ever waver, not even once, at the watch, care, and protection of his Heavenly Father? Was the faith of Jesus perfect faith? This is the core of the gospel, the core of salvation. Revelation 14 12 says, Here's the patience, here's the endurance of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith
2: of Jesus. It's not the faith in Jesus, it's the faith that Jesus had. See, God the Father wants perfect faith.
1: And you and I. In my soon-to-be 48 years of life, I cannot offer God perfect faith because I've had gazillions of experiences in my life that my faith was just riddled with doubts and questionings and everything else. But there is one human being that has walked this earth and his faith has always been perfect. God wants me to put my faith in Jesus and the faith Jesus had in His Father and when I do that, the faith that Jesus had in His Father, God counts it as my faith. God. And you need that kind of faith for God to fulfill His promises in your life. And because I choose to have faith in Jesus and His faith in His Father, all the promises that are yes become yes to me. I can believe God fulfills His promises in my life, promises such as Ezekiel 36, that He will sprinkle me with clean water, And cleanse me from all my idols. And cleanse me from all my iniquities and filthiness. And take out the stony heart out of me and give me a sensitive heart of flesh. What a precious promise. Amen? The promise of 1 John 1.9, that if I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me. How many love that promise? Well, that promise can only be fulfilled through a perfect faith. And there's one individual that has had that faith, and that is Jesus. And when I believe Him... When I anchor myself to him, when I attach myself to him as my anchor, all those promises become fulfilled in my life because of Jesus' perfect faith. Satan wants you to believe that God will do for you because of your faith. And he will give you plenty of reasons to doubt why God will not answer your prayers. Look at your performance last week. How many times did you lose your temper? How did you speak to your spouse? How did you speak to your kids? How did you speak to your mom? How did you speak to your neighbor? Did you gossip? Did you save false witnesses? And we begin to look at ourselves and say, oh man, oh man, I am not worthy of anything. You have already have put your faith on an anchor that will fail you every time, your performance. You need to put your faith in the anchor that will hold in the storms of life. Right. Amen? Romans 3, 10 and 23. And it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. For how many have sinned? So there is no human being that is righteous. No human being that is righteous. All have sinned. And if the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, then how can anyone possibly do that? There is none righteous, no, not one. It is the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith.
2: But what if there's none that are righteous? Can any unrighteous person live by their faith? No. no. Only
1: a righteous person can live by their faith. Who is the only righteous person that has ever lived? Jesus. Could Jesus live by his faith? Yes, he could. Can I live by my faith? But when I put my frail, mustard-sized faith in Jesus, He can move mountains. He can do the things in my life that only God can. So there is this hurdles that the enemy puts inside of us because he understands our weaknesses and our predispositions that trip us up and we begin to doubt that either our faith is failing or God is failing. And what's failing is neither God or our faith. It's where I'm putting my faith in that's failing me. I hope that I'm repeating that so that we'll begin to recognize that there are things that we are doing that are harming our faith. We're going to do a little bit of in-depth Bible study and then we'll close. Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4.
2: When he says, For the righteous shall live by faith.
1: And Paul is quoting the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that provides some really beautiful insights. Actually, he's quoted from the Septuagint in the book of Hebrews. The last verse of chapter 10, verse 39, quotes this part too, where he says, he will not draw back. In Habakkuk 2, 3-4, to New King James says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud his soul is not upright in him, but the just or righteous, same word, shall live by his faith. Now it reads a little different in the New King James, because the New King James uses the Hebrew. But when Paul uses it, he quotes from the Septuagint that reads like this. This is a Brenton's translation. For the vision is yet for a time, and it shall shoot forth at the end, and not in vain. Though he, did you notice a change?
2: Though it tarries, wait for
1: it, it's an impersonal pronoun. But here, though he should tarry, wait for him, for he will surely come and will not tarry. If he should draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And this is quoted in Hebrews 10.39. But the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. Implying someone else's. In the Greek is a third person his, not a first person his. It's not contradictory because in the first translation of the New King James, the Hebrew is consistent because it's speaking about the vision. The vision of the Messiah will not fail. The vision of the coming Messiah will not fail. Though it tarries, though it seems like it's not happening, the vision of the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah will be fulfilled. But in the Septuagint, it goes from the vision to the actual Messiah. Though the Messiah appears that he will not come, keep waiting. Because God has promised in Genesis 3.15 that a seed will be born from the woman that will crush the serpent's head. And though it may seem that he is tarrying, he will come at the right time. And he finishes saying, but the just, the righteous shall live, not by their faith, but by the Messiah's faith.
2: Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives.
1: It is because of Jesus' faith that you and I can approach God. We will explore through this sermon series all the hurdles that has kept many of us with our wheels spinning in our religion never experiencing inner transformation, going in circles over and over the same territory, just like Abraham and Sarah. She is my sister. She is my sister. She is my sister. God wants us to understand how faith works, where faith works, and whose faith works. It's not your faith that will bring the fulfillment of the promises. It is the faith of Jesus. It is the faith in Him that allows God to act in your life, and work in your life. Stop looking at yourself stop looking at your self-performance. Start learning to look to Jesus. It is the simple statements that we hear with our heads, but don't practice in our hearts that gets us in trouble. Stop looking at your parents. Stop looking at other individuals. Learn to look to Jesus. The righteousness of Christ permitted to be so now for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is when Jesus was baptized. And I used to always wonder why Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus getting baptized. You haven't done a miracle yet. Jesus, you haven't healed the lepers or the blinds. How can you be fulfilling all righteousness? Until I stopped to think about baptism and what it represents. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that baptism represents a and then a. So when Jesus was getting baptized, He wasn't getting baptized by faith. He was getting baptized for you and I. He was accepting the fulfillment of his role, his mission, that he would live, give his life for each of us, and then be resurrected. Jesus was accepting his mission. The Messiah of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And preaching the resurrection. Jesus was accepting that he would live a perfect life of faith, allow himself to be crucified and give his life and entrust his life to his father by faith, believing that his father could raise him from the grave again. Jesus' entire perfect faith experience is offered to any human being that with faltering weak faith says, I don't have faith like Jesus. That's okay. God knows that. But can you believe in Jesus? Yes, you can. You can believe in Jesus as he is revealed in the scriptures, that he's merciful and compassionate. He doesn't require you to have a PhD in theology to begin working in your life. I said that already in previous sermons. The man that received his sight in the Gospel of John, when he was asked, who healed you? He didn't even know Jesus' name. But he could say, one thing I know, I don't know his name, but one thing I know, I used to be blind, but now? So you don't need to wait until next Sabbath to experience the power of God in your life. You can begin to experience his power in your heart even now. Put your faith in Jesus. Stop looking at the quality of your faith. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You will not enter heaven by the quality of your faith. You will enter heaven because of the quality of the faith Jesus had in the Father. It is His merits, not yours, that earn you salvation. It is His faithfulness that enables you to receive the fulfillment of all of the promises of God in your life. Stop Looking at yourself. Look to Jesus. Like we're learning in the fast class during the survival class. When Jesus was talking about being raised, like Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be raised. And the commandment that was given to Israel when the fiery serpents were biting them and killing them, what was the gospel? How was the gospel preached to them? Look and live. Look and live. Look with faith in the one that has perfect faith. And his perfect faith will be accounted to you. And all the promises will be yes in your life because of Jesus. All of them, including the promise of the resurrection. Amen. Brother Akvar, akvari no longer limping yards away, but just a foot and a half from the crossing line. He didn't look very
2: promising,
1: but he went back to Tanzania and said, I have finished the race. Jesus was sent by his father. And to all the religious leaders and to all of his followers, Jesus didn't seem like he won. But at the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. I have lived a life of perfect faith. And now I paid the penalty of your sins. And I offer you this morning my faith and my grace to you. Will you accept me? Will you trust me? Will you commit to learning to live your life looking to me and not yourself, not anyone around you? Learn to look to me.
2: Looking unto Jesus, the author and, finisher. The author and perfecter, our
1: finisher of our faith. Amen. Father, I pray that we can learn to do this. Some of us may have had a bit more experience, but we still struggle at times. But thank you, Father, that when we slip, when we falter, when our faith weakens and wavers, We can again and again come to you in the name of Jesus, whose faith never wavered, whose faith was perfect all the way. Thank you that we can have his faith accounted to us. And thank you that through Jesus, Father, every time we pray, we can look to him and not to us and have peace and assurance that you hear us. And like you promised us, Lord, if we know you have heard us, we know we have the things we've asked from you. Teach us to pray with faith, Father, we believe, help our unbelief. We want to experience your power, the power of the resurrection in our lives, in our hearts. Transform us by faith, the faith of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen, Father. Amen.
0: You have been listening to Ariel Roldan, pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Cadillac Church at 801 East Division Street in Cadillac, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11 a.m. Or visit the Lake City Church located at 5970 West Sanborn Road in Lake City, Michigan, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.